Welcome to the main experience. Hey now, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the main experience. I am your host, Jason DeWald, and thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button and look for us on social media. Give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or all three. Check the show notes for links to those. Today, we have an interview with photographer Mark Rockwood. Mark has a long history both personally and professionally in Maine. We had a great conversation where we discussed his career, his approach towards the art of photography, and his love for the state of Maine. Later in the show, we will feature a track by an artist here in Maine named Jenny Van West. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Jenny a few weeks ago and had a fantastic conversation that I will be sharing with all of you in a future episode. But in the meantime, we have one of her tracks to share with you today called Live in a New Way. And lastly, we will finish with a main soundscape that I captured this week on a short walk with my dog Benson at Pine Grove Preserve in Falmouth, Maine. So let's get into it. For my interview with Mark, he was gracious enough to host us at his beautiful photography studio. It was the first interview I had done for this podcast and was more than a little nervous, but Mark was a warm and welcoming host, and I hope you enjoy the conversation that we had. So we are going to pick it up with Mark telling us about the studio he currently occupies at an old mill right on the river in Westbrook, Maine. I've only been in the mill space um, for a couple of years. I had a, a studio in town for 17 years and um, moved out here when the building sold and uh, had my first shot at having a real daylight studio. Um, I'd always been in group studios, and which generally winds up being warehouse space and you know pretty rough spaces. I did catalogs for forever, for 36 years. Okay. And uh, you need to uh, be able to build sets and you know, essentially not be in a polite space. So you sure. need concrete floors and rough, tough walls. And so um, I've been gradually shifting. A lot of my clients have gone away from, you know, big, big set work and things like that. They're more, you know, shooting for web, shooting for um, even the print books that I do. A lot of them are a mix of analog and digital where I'm, I'm shooting products uh, to go into existing backgrounds sure. or um, I'm shooting tiny sets instead of big sets. So I can build a small set in here. It's uh, works pretty well for that. But, Very cool. But Very yeah, cool. when um, I had a chance to design the space and um, it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> I really like it a lot. I have a couple of tenants that uh, I rent space to and uh, it's nice. I have, a, I have a little socialization connected to it, but not like the, uh, the old days where I had nine other photographers and offices and shared studio space. And sure. So it was a little, a little like a big family. Sure. Know, so for, for the people listening at home, this is a, a nice, big, open, airy room, huge windows, almost ceiling to floor, um, white walls, beautiful old wooden floors. What this building used to be? It was a, well, it's the Dana Warp Mill. It was a warp mill. Okay. You know, so they did fiber, you know, industrial fiber production. I, I can't tell you the details. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it's been a long time since it was a mill space. And... Uh, 
you know, they've been gradually renovating it for decades. Yeah. Um, they had a recent turnover of, uh, of ownership and the uh, current owners are really interested in, you know, making it even more multi-use than it is. Sure. Well, okay, so here you are, a professional, successful commercial photographer here in Maine. Let's go back to the beginning and a little bit of the backstory about what made you fall in love with photography, what made you pursue it as a profession, and how'd you end up here? Yeah, I, it's interesting because I, I never think about it until somebody asks because I never thought of myself as like the kid with the camera, but I always did, I always took pictures, but, I, you know, who takes it seriously? Sure. And, uh, um, I wanted to be a doctor. That didn't work out. <laughs> General organic chemistry killed me. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked in the foundries in Michigan before I came out here and put together enough money to go to art school. And I was doing, I was painting and sculpting, doing really awful work, terrible, ugly stuff. And uh, I had a show in a gallery and the back wall had an editorial pinned up about a school in Portland, Maine. Um, concept, which was a breakaway school from what was the art school in town, Fine and Applied, okay. which, which later became Portland School of Art, which later became Mecca. Okay. And um, I thought, oh, this sounds great. No classes. Nobody's leaning on me. I'll just go there. And so um, I took uh, what money I had saved and came out here, and I was pretty stunned. There was a lot about Maine that reminded me of Michigan, but there was so much more Maine that Michigan didn't have. Yeah. And... Uh, after I, after I went away after the one term of school I could afford, it just, I had to come back. You had I, to pull. It pulled, it, it. It was big. Yeah. It, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't subtle. I mean, it made, it made Michigan look kind of gray by comparison. It was, this was so vital and alive. And that, you know, that was 1970. And so it was pretty interesting out here in 1970. So, yeah, that would be my next question then. What, what was, um, give me a picture of what Maine was like and then being at this sort of experimental art school in 1970 here, you know, what was what was the vibe like? What was the city like? What was the town like? Well, the city was really interesting. It was, you know, during the Vietnam War and so there was a lot of activism and there was a march every Wednesday up Congress Street and they shut off all traffic so that, you know, these probably the same 40 people, you know, got to walk up the middle of Congress Street and have a rally at the end. But um, the old port was really barely developed. Um, there were, I don't think there were any places that were active then that are active now. I mean... So very just, different than the the hustle and bustle of sh of tourists and shops and oh yeah 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 there were um, Exchange Street had as many like big double barn door warehouse spaces as it had any kind of businesses. Wow! Um, I rented a, a warehouse space where the movies on Exchange Street used to be um, to do a photo shoot, just a personal thing. And uh, I mean, it's it really stands out the. The places that were available to eat and drink then were uh, limited, and uh, in the old port, there were only about half of them that I have the courage to go into. Yeah. Some of them are pretty scary. So, but it was interesting. It was really alive, and there were streets then that don't exist now that got torn up and developed over. I mean, the Franklin Arterial is one, but there's you know streets in the old port, like where Canal Plaza is. Um, there was a beautiful street that was just like Exchange Street. That's that's gone, and um, so th I mean, there's that ghost. Sure. But people ask me if I miss that, and it's like I don't miss it. Yeah, Portland's Portland is so much better, safer place. Um, you know, it's 
I, I think it's getting better. I mean, we don't have as many burnings, you know, buildings burned down mm -hmm. or, you know, having uh, derelict properties sure. in the middle of things. And there were a lot of them then. Yeah. Um, the waterfront was pretty grisly. Yeah. Um, where DeMillo's is was an old um, um, generating plant, you know, that was all smashed up, huge thing, just sitting there in the rubble. And that, I mean, that was my, my image of Portland. Plus, across the river was... Um, a rendering plant across the harbor, which smelled awful. And uh, here in Westbrook, the paper mill smelled awful. So no matter which way the wind blew, you got, you got some pretty unpleasant experiences. The diesel buses. So those are the, that, was, that was my awe I'm back in Portland because I would smell the paper mill or um, Pine State byproducts or diesel from the buses. And it's like, oh, here we are. I'm, I'm home again. So what what was it? Uh, I think you sort of liked that industrial sort of part of the town. Maybe it reminded you from Michigan, or what? What was it that? What was it specifically about Maine after school that that had you wanting to come back? Sort there's, of. There was an interesting. I think. Uh, well, the, one of the things that always stuck with me was that there was what appeared to be real history. It was like. You know, this is a much older town than the one I grew up in in Michigan. Um, out there, you scratch the topsoil, and you know you're in prehistory. That's it. And here, you go down layers and layers, and there's still you know ages and ages of, of occupants and sure. you know stories. And so it was always interesting in wandering around in uh, Portland when I first got here. I mean, really, like the first day I got here. Um, I was just, I loved the architecture. I loved the mix of things. I loved the shape of the streets. I loved you know, Portland having a view of the water from so many directions. And it just seemed like so rich. And um, though you see it a lot now when you're, we're in the top 10 of every list on the planet, yeah. um, there was just a, a richness and a diversity. And a, it, was, it was just irresistible. What, would, what did you... Um what was your feeling of welcome from people who, you being a transplant from Maine and, you know, the people who were here? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. My experience, you know, that first weekend in town, you know, I'm bumping around. Everybody was friendly. People would talk to you in the streets. But that was the hippie era, too. Yep. So there was kind of a, an attitude that was different. But uh, I wound up talking to this kid. You know, we went on and on and on. And um, he, he asked me where I was from. And I said, oh, I'm from Michigan. And he said, oh, my best friend is from Michigan. I said, really? Where is he from? He said, Carlton. And that was the town just north of where I lived. And I said, what's his name? I knew the kid. Totally... I mean, wow. what, what's the, what are the odds of that? Sure. And, um, and I've had that experience so many times about Portland. Um, Interesting. That, you know, you're here and you meet somebody and they know somebody you know who's never been here. Yeah. Or you're away and somebody says, oh, you're from Portland. I have a good friend from Portland. He's so-and-so. And I knew him or I knew somebody who knew him. Or, and, That's great. And it happens just all the time. And I think it's like the difference between... The circulation in your thumb or the circulation in your heart. Yeah. You know, all the blood has to pass through your heart and how much has to pass through your thumb. Not, that's not alluding to Michigan too much, but I'm just saying. Yeah. So, anyway, but it's, there's just a, a bigger quality about, you know, life here. Yeah. It's more interesting. Yeah.
That's a great, that's a great way to summarize it. Absolutely. Um, when you decided, tell us a little bit about when you decided to make photography a profession and sort of what, what challenges you faced a little bit in sort of maybe going a career path that's not, you know, super typical. Yeah. It's, um, I intended to teach. I didn't intend to be a commercial photographer. Okay. I uh, had worked off and on as a photo assistant um, in Michigan before I came out and in between times when I was out here. Um, I was here in 75 and decided to go back to school and get my, my, my bachelor's in photography. And, and then I went on and got my master of fine arts in photography. And my whole intention was being a photo artist and teaching. And um, it was just a bad time to decide to be a teacher because I was competing against a million people. It yeah. was a trend at that moment. I was applying for jobs that people I had studied with were applying for. And so um, I d decided to look around and do whatever you know, whatever I already knew how to do in sure. photo, which was assist. And uh, I hooked up with uh, a photographer in town who, you know, had never had a skilled assistant. And uh, we took off. Um, Peter Mackenberg, who uh, I worked for for 11 years. And uh, I worked as an assistant, then I worked as a photographer for him. and. Um, so he was the one who showed you the commercial photography world a little bit. You know, it's interesting because I had seen a lot of the commercial photography world, but it was really painful. Mm. And I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be a commercial photographer. And he's a good commercial photographer, and he knows a lot about it, and he'd been doing it for a while at the time. But he and I were the same age. We had, you know, I mean, I had put all my time into school, and, you know, and he had put all his time into business. And um, it was not painful. Yeah. Not anymore. And we had a lot of fun doing it, and I thought maybe this isn't so bad. And so, uh, you know, I worked for him for a long time, left him, started my own studio. Um, I know I, I learned a lot about catalog photography from him and from working in projects in the studio there and um, just carried it forward. And I would, at that time, I think, man, it was, it was just all sweet. It was lucky. Yeah. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, I met lots of people and I, you know, had clients before I knew it. It's very different than now. I mean, I, I know a lot of young photographers who are starting out and they live a life of constant social pursuit because everything yeah. is word of mouth now. Yeah. I mean, you can put tons of money into advertising and you're still not getting any, you know, any work in the studio. It's so much more, you know, a shoulder to shoulder thing. You know, and people get to know you, and they go, well, let's, you know, i got to have this done. Uh, network, network, you. network sort of it, thing. Yeah, it is, exactly. And i I got to admit, I'm not very good at it. So, sure, you know, sure. I, I mean, you and I met yeah. at a networking event. But well, I have to tell you, that was like one, that was literally one of the first networking events I've ever been to. So yeah. it was, it was, you know, it's, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's a weird situation being yeah, and thrust. I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of suspicious of myself at those because I have way too much fun. And I, I was like, I Come on, this is this is business. You got to talk to people, and you got to be, you know. I'm the exact same way. I'm yeah. the exact same way. Because then you're w wondering, well, am I even talking about the things that I'm here to be talking about, or am I just yeah. having a good time? Yeah. You know, it's, uh... Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think there's um, there's definitely a different era. Plus, um, I mean, it's it's just a completely different universe now. Sure. I mean, um, there was no internet. There was no you know. World Wide Web, yeah. so there was no, you know, image generation directed uh, specifically to that, um, and to do commercial photography at that time, 
I mean, you really had to know a load about photography. Sure. You know, you had to shoot all large format. You had to shoot to Polaroid. You were shooting all transparency. Um, everything had to be lit. Uh, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting segue into my next question is, you know, because technology changes in a lot of mediums and obviously it has in photography what hasn't so when you're coming to shoot something what are the things that you look at and a professional photographer thinks about that haven't changed from when you started till now and with without necessarily thinking so much about the technology that's um that's pretty tough because almost everything has changed you still have to have the ability to imagine things into existence mm. regardless of the tools you use um you know, you sit down with an art director or, a, you know, a group in an agency or a client comes to you directly and they're saying, you know, it has to, has to do this, it has to feel like that and um, it'd normally be used in this kind of situation and then they look at you and you're going, oh, yeah, I know what that would look like and uh, we can probably do that here and, you know, I'll just fabricate this little thing and we'll do that and we, what do you think, you know, we can... And um, I think that's, that's pretty much dead consistent. Um, from that point, everything changes. Um, yeah. So much is done, you know, after the fact. Yeah. Um, I was mentioning earlier, I have, and I have a client that has a big, you know, a wood stove is their product. Gas stoves, you know, wood stoves. Um, and we used to take everything out of location and shoot it in film, and it was, you know, it was a big struggle. And, you, you know, you had to choose a location where they could actually splice into the chimney. Now, you know, they, they find a location... I go out and shoot the location, then we go back to the burn lab, and I have the location on the screen. We shoot the product half a dozen different ways until we find the one that, you know, I've, I've lit it so that it looks like it could be in that space. And then, you know, so we capture that, and then we do um, shots of fire inside and make the fire perfect. Don't have to, the outside doesn't have to be correct, the, you know, the exterior yeah. of the product. And then put all three together, and it's, you know, it looks better than it ever could have shooting film unless you had a big retouching budget, I you know, see. so that you could put in, you know, these glowy highlights on the floor I and see. all that stuff. And a lot of the times when I'm shooting, I do it, you know, I, I approach digital as an analog question and I'll put, um, you know, a gelled light over in the general vicinity where I know the stove is going to go. Yeah. So I get all this, you know, orangey sparkly light all over you know surfaces that are smooth and then go back and it's like oh well, sure yeah, lash it together so i mean it's there's i'm sure there are other things that are more literally the same but uh I, it just feels like it's so easy now compared to the year of film well hearing you talk about it makes me think about other mediums being audio and video and it's it's very similar in the sense that everybody has has, can it's all a lot more forgiving yeah. everybody can sort of fix it in the mix or fix it in post and yeah. you know but at the same time try and create a product that's that's as real as possible yeah you know? yeah um do you take photos for pleasure are you a sort of a a photographer that that takes a lot of pictures for yourself i do yeah, yeah. i still do um it again that's easier too i mean i shoot i shoot with my phone yeah. i mean i rarely i took a camera um, on a trip to Montreal just recently and I was like okay I've hauled it up here I'm going to take it out and so I got up early one day and I walked and shot and uh, it was such a pain in the ass you know because I'm you know, i walking along and if, if you put it away 
you're not going to get it out. So I'm walking with it in my hand, you know, that classic street shooter, wrap the shoulder, the neck strap around your wrist and hook it over your finger so it's always there. Yeah. And, you know, it was just annoying. And um, because, I mean, I, for my own personal work, I shot, I shot Polaroid for years and years and years. I shot SX-70 and I had a bunch of shows. These are images from, okay, from that era. And uh, when Polaroid, Polaroid is still available, but it gets more and more expensive and it doesn't feel quite the same to me. And uh, so I just started shooting with, uh, with my iPhone and there was a, an app called Shake It that produced a square image and it had some of the same tweaks. It was a little bit blocked in the shadows and the, the color was a little bit uh, saturated and it had that SX-70 feel to it. And so I shot a lot with that. And I did two or three shows okay. with, my, uh, with my iPhone images. And um, I find that I really feel much more connected to the iPhone because it's not in the way. Um, I mean, I've, I had some good mentors, and one of the things that was consistent was, you know, you have to learn your tools really thoroughly and then forget about them. Because if you have to be thinking about the tools when you're doing what you do, they get in the way. They're influencing and interfering. And, uh, and I think the, the iPhone is, is the perfect resolution to that. Um, you, you take a DSLR out, and it's like, okay, what lens should I put on it? All right, I'll do this, and I don't have to put on the zoom, so I'm here, 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 and here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get out there, and you're like, oh, geez, that was stupid. I should have put on the long lens. Or I should have done, you know, and the, the iPhone is the iPhone. It's just what it is, and you can do things with it and the things you can't do with it. It's like the, the whole uh, era of toy camera shooting, which is, you know, comes and goes about every 10 or 15 years sure. where suddenly everybody's out with, you know, $12 cameras and, yeah. you know, and, and getting really like funky effects of so the images look like they're rotting out, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I think the iPhone has that, you know, has that access and ease and it's all about vision it's always been about vision and right. you know, the, the one it, thing you don't want is to have something in front of you it doesn't so matter all the technical things right it, it, it what matters is a great picture yeah right? and you know and if you're doing it within your own standards and to your own needs yeah you know then you don't have to worry about you know having um, a massive file yeah you know to do whatever I well, do commercially I, th I think it's interesting to hear you say how you found an app that sort of fit your what you were looking for out of the pictures you were taking you know what you were Yep. Well, you're, that's that's really cool. So, so it, whether you're you're carrying your your DSLR or your iPhone, and you're walking around, and you're at some place you really love and enjoy, and you're shooting for pleasure, what what is it lo that you're looking for? That what is it that you see that says, "Oh, I, I need to capture this." Yeah, yeah. I I have this attraction to um, quality of light, and which you know. Most photographers do. Yeah. I mean, you can you can take a pile of garbage and beautiful light, and it's like wow, you know. So, I mean, I think that's the first thing that pushes my button. But I've been doing urban landscape for a long time, and I have this sort of odd story that I worked on for a while. That after I started shooting, um, I kept saying, "What what is going on here? What is this about?" And it's that um, feeling like you come back from you know 900 years in the future. And you're trying to make sense of all these odd artifacts, and are they meaningful, or is this just weird stuff together? And um, 
And so I started photographing from kind of that, I, you know, I don't really know what this stuff is about, but it's pretty interesting. So the backs of signs, um, things that sandwiched up against one another, where you've got a beautiful, perfect piece of architecture against a, you know, a trailer, you know, trailer storage yard, so that you've got these odd, like this really ugly utilitarian thing against this completely artificial plastic, you know, rendering of beauty and just those those odd combinations. And so I always feel like it's transporting. Um, I think when most photographers are out and they're really kind of lost in it, um, there's that sense of you're really isolated. It's just thinking, walking, turning your sensitivity down, just letting it wash over you, and then you connect with stuff. Um, and it's very much that kind of like story that's in my head, like, you know, I was dropped off here from wherever and, you know, I'm bumping around, you know, cities and looking and seeing these odd combinations of things. And I think rendering them in, um, in a, a less than perfect medium kind of adds to that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. No, that's great. That's gr- it really interesting to hear you talk about what the, the story you're trying to tell from an image. And even if it, it sounds like you're trying to leave it in the eye of the beholder as well to sort of let them sort of decide what these odd things are that they're seeing, you know, or, and what, the con- what their story is. You know, um, I have, it's kind of an odd thing. I mean, I've been represented by galleries a couple of times and I discovered I really don't have an audience. You know, there's nobody out there waiting to see what, or asking me about what this stuff is. And, and so I think that kind of isn't, isn't in play because I, I know pretty much nobody's going to see these images. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, I got my master's degree in like 1980 and, you know, I am not, you know, I didn't, I didn't put a kid through college and pay my yeah. mortgage making art. <laughs> It's, right. it's not happening. So um, you're shooting what you find interesting, what you yeah. what you want to capture. Yeah, you, and, yeah, and so I don't, and I think it's a real help. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm shooting for the gallery. I have to have 10 new images to show the owner yeah. before, and la, 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 you know, and I have so to have the that, big So it's that sort of left brain, right brain thing of like, y- when you know you're not working, you're you're shooting for pleasure and you're shooting in a different way for what you want to, what, what's aesthetically pleasing to you. Yeah. That's yeah. great. It's kind of a... You know, you don't you don't do it all the time. You don't think that way all the time, but um, the, you have those gift moments. Yeah. You know, well, th- you this, give it to you give it to yourself to to enjoy. This kind of plays into that question, but but for me, I'm a I'm a, a novice photographer. You know, I, I was happy when the the iPhones came out and it became easier to take great pictures. What would you say to someone who's just a novice, but is maybe in a really beautiful place like Maine and has all these things that you see all the time that you want to take pictures of. What should I be, what should I be looking of? What should I think of before I hit that, that take a picture button, even though there's no real, you know, yeah. with storage sizes, we can take as many, many pictures as we want. But yeah. 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 Any tips for novices? Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's hard. The, I, the one thing I find is that if you take too many pictures, you never look at them. Yeah. If you shoot 80 pictures of this thing, you're going to get bored and you know, I mean, the, the example for me is I, I sat after I got, I don't know which iPhone it was, but you know, it was taking really beautiful pictures and I sat there and did shots, uh, you know, these little square images of the fireworks. Uh, I was on top of one of the buildings on the Eastern prom and, uh, I was sitting in a lawn chair, so I was really stable and there were all these people in front of me and some had flags. And so they were all silhouetted and it was, I'm loving what I was seeing on the phone. I must have shot like 75 
frames. I never look at 75 frames. I, you know, it's just like this big block of something. Yeah. You know, but every once in a while I'll take a picture and I just shoot one or two and then keep going. You know, don't beat it to death. Yeah. Um, and they mean something more to me. And I think that's, what, that's one of the curses of digital. You know, somebody shoots a you know, vacation worth of photos on a card and <laughs> the chances of them getting back to looking at every single one of them, you know, it's less than 50-50. Sure. Um, that, you know, but I think with the, with the phone, it's just the same as with, uh, with any other capture device. You know, if you don't put in the frame anything you don't want in the frame, and think about the light. If the light's shining in your face, it's gonna suck. Um, if the light's coming directly over your head, it's gonna be flat. So, you know, think of the light coming in on an angle. You know, oblique is more dramatic than straight on. And, um, you know, think about what's, you know, what's in the background. Yeah. Um, I, had, uh, I had a couple of people that I was doing a portrait of. I don't do much portraiture, but it was kind of interesting. They were friends. And, um, so I handed one the camera and, and I left the room. I said, you know, why don't you play and let's see what you do. And they did some, they did some really fun stuff, but there was all this studio junk in the back. You know, it's like, there's a door open with some crap inside the door and there's this thing over here and it's like, you should pay attention to the background. These shots are nice, but you know, right. that's, that's like, you know, three hours with a Photoshop to get all that stuff out of there. So, sure. you know, and I think that's, that's pretty common. You get really excited about that thing you see. Yeah. And, like, think about everything in the frame. Yeah. You know, and no, that's good advice. make the light interesting, and it's pretty hard to miss. That's good advice. And I love what you said about taking too many photos of something, because I've had that experience of looking through your phone and thinking, oh, these all look the same and they're not interesting. But then that one thing that you took one photo of is the interesting thing, because you're yeah. capturing the moment. Yeah. You know, you're capturing the moment. And there's nothing harder than throwing away most of the photographs you took of something. Right. You know, but if you don't, you know, it's like the water just gets deeper and deeper until it's over your nose and yeah. your, your toast. No, yeah. I love it. Self-editing, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's more important than ever, you know. All right, so thank you so much. Now we're going to go into sort of the wrap-up sort of questions that I'm planning on asking all my guests. Um, what's your must-see spot? It can be a city, a region, a particular place, but what's your, what's your zen spot in Maine? What's your place mm -hmm. that you love? I, uh, there's, uh, they're, they're not, well, one's kind of a big whoop, but the other one isn't. Uh, when I lived on Peaks Island, um, being out on the back of the island, um, when the sun comes up, I mean, that's kind of, everybody knows I do not shoot landscape. I do not do that stuff. But it's mostly, not that I don't appreciate it, I just don't have a camera. You know, I just go there to, yeah. to feel it. It's so much more meaningful. When it's not, there's the, well, I got to come up, you know, get up at four so I can get the sunrise. And you're like, wah, 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 and drag a lot of equipment along. So it's, I'm just going to go look at the sunrise. But um, the top of Mount Batty okay. above, above Camden is okay. one of my absolute favorite places in Maine. Um, you know, if you go early in the season or late in the season um, before it gets terribly crowded, you can drive up to the top and then, you know, walk down the, walk down the slope a little bit. And uh, you know you find a find a chunk of rock and put your back against it. And it's you're looking down at the harbor and you're looking out to sea and you're looking over to Mount Desert and it's um, it's personal. Wow. And I think that's 
there, I mean, there's so many really sweeping, dramatic, you know, places and visions in the, especially in the U.S. But uh, to have it be personal, as opposed to, you know, I'm in the bus that's driving by and everybody's got their cameras against yeah. it's it's really personal. I mean, a lot of times I've taken lunch up there and sat and eaten it and put it in my lap and it's. It's a really beautiful spot, and it's one thing. If people ask me, like, okay, if I was only going to do one thing, and I've got a list, and you know, I, I send them there. It's pretty beautiful. Great to know. Great to know. Check it out for sure. Um, where, do you, where do you love to eat and drink? What's this? You know, Portland's known <laughs> as a foodie town. Certainly a beer beer town, beer state. Mm. What is if you had to pick one, or or just a place that you love that you, you would recommend? Yeah. Where do you eat? Where do you drink? Um, I eat and drink a lot at. Um, Congress Bar and Grill, okay, because that's been a a spot for years and years and years. It's gone through a lot of changes. It's really an interesting place, and there's always interesting people at the bar there. Um, Food-wise, I like uh, uh, Vignola, okay, the Italian restaurant down in the Old Port. Um, it's it's just it's got great atmosphere. I mean, the, the food's good. I mean, food isn't. There's so many restaurants. Food isn't enough anymore. You got to have you know a just feel like connection to it. I almost said gut connection, but that, no. <laughs> but uh, it, it really is very charming, has great atmosphere. And I, um, I'm liking Lolita up on the hill. Okay. And I'll go in there for snacks and a drink. And um, it's too expensive for me to stay for more than that. But um, it, it has great atmosphere too. And the bartenders are always like really sharp, interesting people. Cool. Um, you know, it, it's interesting for me because generally I'm a dive bar person. I like yeah. really yucky, sure. creepy, weird, strange places. And yeah. Borland's running out of them. <laughs> they're, all, they're all getting co-opted and becoming, you know, hip and beautiful and sure. interesting. So, you know, thankfully there are some crappy places yeah. up and down the coast I can <laughs> still <laughs> track down. <laughs> That's great. Anyway. That's great. Um, any advice for, for a young person or even not even necessarily a young person, anyone get, that wants to get into photography professionally, any, any advice you'd give to them? Um, I used to have a lot of advice. Now it's, it's much tougher because everybody's a photographer. Yeah. It's like, you know, deciding, God, I can't even think of it. What's the most ubiquitous job? And I'm going to be a graphic designer. Like, how do you give somebody advice about being a graphic designer? Every, I mean, yeah. every other bartender is a graphic designer or, you know, and, and three out of every four waitresses or waiters are graphic designers. And it's become the same thing with photography. Um, everybody does photography. Yeah. I mean, there are whole areas of photography that, you know, people who are pros don't even go near. I don't know everybody's that way, but um, <laughs> nobody goes to beer companies, you know, to let me photograph your beer. No, there are three people waiting in line to do it for free. Yeah. They, you know, and they'll trade and like, you know, I'll get my name out there and I'll, maybe I'll get some beer and yep. restaurants are the same way. I mean, there's some really good food shooters and mm -hmm. some really good environmental shooters, but you know, they're competing with people who, you know, they're going to do it for free. And it's because, you know, photography has, it actually has gotten easier. I mean, it's not as difficult to get a really wonderful image and people are really motivated and driven their wheels are photoshop you know they collect raw materials and then they make it nice later and sometimes they get lucky and if they practice it enough they actually become good at it but the competition's ridiculous yeah um you know there are areas that 
I think a lot of people try to really make the most of. I mean, not very many people can light. Some can light. Not very many people can light in really complicated situations or light really difficult products. And so I think a lot of the, you know, the people that are still in the, in the game that have been in for a while have skills like that. You know, they've done this. They know how to solve that problem. Yeah. You know, you want your product to look at a certain level. You know, we're not shooting it on the table in the restaurant anymore. And, you know, the light is what the light is. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you have to just keep kind of uh, re, not redefining, but refining. Hone your skills to separate yourself. And present it and make it clear. That's, yeah. you know, why would somebody come and hire me or any of the other you know, really good commercial photographers in town when, you know, their nephew can shoot it, yep. you know, and he'll, he'll shoot it for 50 bucks. Yeah. Why would they come and pay, you know, 1800 or 2400 or whatever it is you know, to go into somebody's studio and, or shoot on location with a bunch of equipment? Yeah. Why would you do that? And there's a, there's a break point where, you know, the guy with the nice camera can't get past and you really are forced to, you know, to go beyond, you know, and quite frankly, it's, I don't think it's as critical anymore. Um, so many companies are getting away with, you know, social media level, you know, photographs for products, which is great if they're making it, they know there's no sense in spending ridiculous amounts of money mm -hmm. for somebody like me. Yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint. I mean, I, I cry myself to sleep at night because that's what's going on. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're honest with yourself and you step back a little bit and you go, this, it's working, that yeah. works. Yeah. I mean, these, these funky pocket tools are pretty good. Yeah. Um, right. so, you know, it's, it, it becomes a, a more difficult sort of uh, challenge all the time. And there are just situations that I do have limited advantages. I mean, somebody needs to have 75 product shots done. And, you know, you go to the kid with the camera, he's like, ah, okay, I can probably do that. You know, you come to me and it's, I've done it you know, yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah. Shooting catalogs. You know, yeah. I, I know how to, how to do that. Yeah. You know, the, and the people that I worked with, Peter Mackenberg, and, you know, they're, they're people in the building who shoot like that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, that's not a problem. You know, you got to, he just... Do it. You do it with out of experience and with the right tools, and so you know there's there's still you know a little a little piece of unflooded ground that all of us are huddling on. <laughs> but uh, well, it, it's, it's it's people who value what they're what they're what they're going for, right? I mean, businesses that are willing to invest money into something that they deem to be important. Luckily, yeah. luckily, thankfully, there's still artists like you around that can provide those. Those top-level <laughs> services, you know. We're, we're still here. <laughs> really, that's good. Anyway. Um, all right, last question. Any advice for anyone thinking about moving to Maine or saying, hey, what, what, what's going on up there in that state up in the corner? What's Any advice? Um, come. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, you know, I, I, I know so many people that have moved here and, like, uh, like, oh, you know, there's just so many people coming. And like, you came. What are you talking about? You know, it's like, the, and it happens in so many places. It's like, I'm in the door. Quick slam it behind yeah. me. Nobody else should come now. They want to You know, it belongs secret. to us. Get out of here. And it's like, come on. You know, and 
if you're if you fear that you know things will get too expensive or that you know it won't be nice anymore or it's, it's, everything changes there's no way to lock it down i mean at least there's so much here still um and business is the same way you know it's competition no matter where you are hoping that you find a place where there's no competition and you know that's a funny thing because people come in from the outside to do their businesses and they're like, oh, it's Maine, you know, I'm going to eat that market up. Like, nobody is from here. Everybody's transplanted here. Everybody loved it, had the same experience you did, came here on vacation, went, oh, you know, the real estate that I own way back there would get me something real here, and, and I could just kill this market. And, you yeah. know, they get here, and it's like, oh, I'm competing against people who I used to compete against. <laughs> you know, they're all, they all came here, too. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, my wife grew up in Maine, and um, she, she doesn't even consider herself a Mainer because she was born in New Jersey. She came here when she was a little girl, and so her, she has a really deep Maine experience, and uh, she laughs about it all the time. You know, she only knows a handful of people you know, that she runs into every day yeah. who are from Maine. Yeah. Everybody else is from away who came here and bring away skills and have raised the level of performance across, you know, all creative media, all, everything. Everything. Everything is running at a very high level here. Yeah. You know, and so it's always like so funny when you hear somebody grousing about, you know, they didn't recognize how much better. You're not that much better. Yeah. And there's plenty of people who can do what you do. Yeah. You know, so just chill and work hard and yeah. make it happen. So. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my, I mean, my advice is just come. Just it's come, really beautiful. You'll love enjoy it. it. I love it. You'll love it. Yeah, so. that's great. Well, thank you, Mr. Mark Rockwood. This has been illuminating. <laughs> uh, learning about, uh, learning about your sort of history of photography and especially your experience in Maine. You've been here a long time and I think you really love it. Obviously you love it. And uh, thank you for sharing your story with us here on The Main Experience. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Mark for taking the time to sit down and share some of his main experience with us. If you want to learn more about Mark and his work, visit his website at www.markrockwoodphotography.com and follow him on Instagram at Mark Rockwood. He has been sharing some really cool black and white photos from the 70s on there recently, uh, and I have really been enjoying them. So go check him out on there. Up next, we have our main music feature, and I am excited to share a song by singer-songwriter Jenny Van West. I love the feel of this track and the positive message behind it, so I thought I would share it with all of you. I hope you enjoy Live in a New Way by Jenny Van West.
was Live in a New Way by Jenny Van West. Such a fun song, and I really love her voice on it. Look for more from Jenny on future episodes of The Main Experience, and check out her website, JennyVanWestMusic.com. Thanks so much to all of you for listening to The Main Experience today. I'm going to leave you with a main soundscape that I recorded at Pine Grove Preserve in Falmouth, Maine. It is a little patch of woods in between two busy roads, just a couple exits north on 295 outside Portland. You can hear traffic in the background, but the birds were still singing away, so I hope you enjoy. Check the show notes for links to everyone and everything featured on the show today. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you liked what you heard today, let everyone know and give us a review on the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and come join me again on The Main Experience. Main Experience is produced by Audio Evolutions. Audio Evolutions is a small business run by me, Jason DeWald, and I would love to work with you on your next project. In the modern age of digital media, it is easier than ever for people to be creative, but poor audio quality can distract from all of your hard work and ruin your project. Let Audio Evolutions help evolve your sound to the next level. Offering services ranging from full-scale music production for your next album, podcast production to give you the professional sound you deserve, audio post-production for video, location sound recording for video shoots, and even voiceovers. Send an email to jason at audioevolutions.net and let me know how Audio Evolutions can help you evolve the way your world sounds.